Today, we're going to take the next two sets of three plagues, or uh, six more, and hold on. We're going to say the tenth plague for next week. Lord willing, we'll come back next week, and we will take that one. But here in Exodus chapter 8, verse 20. And the Lord said to Moses, Arise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Then say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people, into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, mark that in verse 22, in which my people dwell that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. And I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow the sign shall be. So we'll stop right there and we'll capture this a little bit and things to make sure you understand. So Lord is showing back up here to Moses to tell Moses, you're going to go down there while the Pharaoh comes down to the water to do his ritual bathing and worshiping of his gods. And you're going to go meet them that morning before he gets down to the water. And when you get down there, you're not just going to say good morning to him. You're going to say, thus says the Lord, my, let my people go that they may serve me or else. Ooh, key words right there, or else. It means there's a consequence if you don't listen to me. God says there's a consequence. There's no question about that. And if you will not let my people go, behold, swarms of flies. Now, the original language there doesn't mean flies like we possibly see. We see flies milking the cows. You know, as much as, you know, the, you know, the farmer says, get rid of these flies. They're bothering me here. But these are flies were like these Egyptian beetles. They were like flies. They flew around. There were these beetles that came in, caused all kinds of problems, and they covered everything. That was the warning. But notice here in this plague, a difference from the other plagues, God highlights through Moses to Pharaoh that, in, that when this happens, I will set apart the land of Goshen. If you remember, Goshen was the part in Egypt that was where the Israelites settled in. That's where Joseph, his, the, the brother there, uh, who was the second in command at the time, set the father and the brothers, everyone up in the land of Goshen. That's where that God prospered and it grew as a nation there. God says, I'm going to bring these flies and they're going to cover everything except for the land where my people dwell. And he says there in verse 23, I'm going to make a difference now. You're going to make it very clear when I come in to do these things, I'm going to reveal myself, how powerful I am, how great I am, and how there will be a separation between my people and those who do not want anything to do with me. Make note of that. There is a separation. Yes, it rains on the just and the unjust, but there will be times when things will come that will be separated and will be clear that those who are the children of God will be protected from those who are not the children of God. There will be a blessing upon the children of God, and there will be a not a blessing upon the children of God. So we see when we look at this verses here that he says he's making a very key distinction here. And but Pharaoh is going to ignore and will harden his heart toward the things and the message that God, his word, threw Moses to him. But if Pharaoh thought he could ignore God in his messenger, he was absolutely wrong. And he would, God is going to bring the plagues to bring about a clarity to Pharaoh of who's in control and who is not. And we will see that he's going to bring these flies in order, verse 22 at the end there, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. Now we see here, verse 24, and the Lord did so. Why? Because we didn't see Pharaoh's response here, but obviously we know what his response was because we see that God brought the actual flies, the, this plague. If he would have responded, okay, I give up, I surrender my life, I give my life over to God, okay, he's in control, do you think God would have brought the plague? No. 
But he must have obviously ignored. He didn't say a thing. He must have looked at Moses and said, talk to the hand. He didn't say, I don't even, I'm not going to acknowledge you. Who are you? And that happens. Non-believers sometimes as you're trying to share and you're trying to, they almost ignore you and completely put the hand up and doesn't even respond to you. But notice what happens here. The thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. And the land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. These insects just invaded the land. It's interesting, and you study the Psalms, if you go back to Psalm 78, verse 40 through 50, but mostly 45, you will know it, you'll notice that in Psalms, uh, talks about the time where we're talking about right now in Egypt. We see there in Psalm 78, 45, it says that these swarms devoured them, and this indicates that they were biting insects in this swarm. I, I always thought it's like, these are big horse flies, man. These things will take a chunk of your, your skin when they bite onto you. You ever been around horse flies? You know what that feels like. Not pretty. But we see here, no one was going to be spared this terrible plague upon the people of, 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 of Egypt, except for the people of Israel, who were completely, Completely protected by the hand of God in the land of Goshen. Even though there was going to be chaos going all around them and destruction, God is protecting his people. And I don't know about you, but that brings great comfort to me. To know when we start seeing destruction is going to happen, we will be protected by our God. But we see the land was corrupted. This shows that the, at the point where this plague was coming down, just like the plague of lice that we saw there at the third uh, plague, the Egyptian gods could not worship amidst this uncleanliness. They were not, they were able to have to stop their worship to their false gods and their false uh, religious system. Verse 25, then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, it is not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, they will they not stone us? We will, we will go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will command us. So now we're going to see one of four compromises that uh, Pharaoh starts trying to negotiate with Moses here. Because, <laughs> you know, he's, he's now under pain and pressure now. you got these flies all over nipping on their butts, and they're like, okay, something's got to go. So he calls them in, him and Aaron, and he says, okay, go, sacrifice. Wow, did he have a change of heart? No, notice the compromise. He says, go sacrifice to your God in the land. Meaning, you have to stay in the land. You can sacrifice God, but just stay in the land. You can't go the journeys into the desert. Just stay right here. It's that compromise. It's like, it's like okay, I want to have Sunday off. Can boss, can I have Sunday off because I want to go worship God and I, I want to you know, just serve God on Sunday. And the, and the boss says, no, you're not going to go. And then all of a sudden there's some challenges and challenges and, and, you're, and God is blessing you in the work. And, and then finally the boss says, well, you can't do it on Sundays, but you can pick another day. You know, there's always these the non-believers trying to negotiate with you with what God's asking you to do and what you want to do. There's always this compromise. And we certainly hope we don't compromise, but we do, don't we? We sit there and say, God, I want to worship you this way. I want to do this way. But then we compromise. This is good enough, isn't it? Once a year, twice a year, I go to Sundays and, and sit down and, and, and be in the church. I'm only three, you know, like a CEO, Christmas, Easter, and other special occasions. I'm a CEO. Isn't that good enough, God? We also compromise with what God is calling us to do to gather and not forsake the fellowship. But Pharaoh's doing it. 
He's trying to compromise with them. But notice that Moses stands strong and says, wait a minute, are you out of your mind? Because if we stayed in the land and sacrificed the, our animals to our God, you know what's going to be, what that's going to do to the Egyptians? They'll, they'll lose their mind. They'll stone us because it'll be a, a, a blasphemy. It, it would just be absolutely uh, an abomination to the Egyptians if we worshipped our God in front of them. It would be like, it would be like killing a pig in front of a, a, a Muslim mosque. The Muslims would go nuts if you did that. What happened if you killed a cow in front of the Hindu temple? You would die. I'm telling you, the Hindus would take you out. So, he, so he's, he's sitting there. That doesn't even make sense, Pharaoh, for us to worship our God in front of the Egyptians. That would not go well at all. So what happened? So in verse 28, Pharaoh said, I will let you go. He, he obviously, oh, okay, that's true. Uh, I'll, I'll let you go. That you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Oh, now he's talking wilderness, the desert. This is good. He's out of the they're out of the land now. Only you shall not go very far. Intercede for me. It's compromise number two. Okay, that's not going to work. Ooh, that was a, that's not good. You're right. My people would lose it. Uh, you can go, but you can't go very far. You can just go. Just we want you just outside the city. <laughs> you know, well, you, you can't go three days journey like your God's telling you and God's telling me, no, no, you can only just go a little ways. Don't go too far. It's kind of crazy to think you would go more than on a Sunday once a month. Don't go crazy and think you need every Sunday and go worship God. What do you mean you're going to go to men's and, Bi and ladies' Bible studies in the middle of the week? What are you talking about? That's kind of crazy. You're doing just fine going once a month on a Sunday. That's enough. And we do compromise like that in our minds if we're not careful. Why? Because it's a sign of the hardness of heart when you don't desire to worship God or be with God's people. And Pharaoh's shining, his heart is growing harder and harder by the time as he's looking to compromise. It, when you start compromising, you know you're having the hardness of heart is starting to set in. So what happens? He says, yeah, you can't go, don't go very far. Intercede for me. That's the only reason why I want you to go do this anyway. I want you to intercede for me. Stop the flies. <laughs> That's the only reason why he's even saying it, right? Verse 29, and then Moses said, indeed, I'm going out from you and I will entreat the, the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore in let, not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses is getting a little more bold here. He's calling the, the leader of the, of the nation, and he's calling them out on it. He's like, don't be deceitful, because you've been deceitful the last three times. Be careful. Don't be deceitful. But what happens, verse 30, so Moses went out. So Moses actually knows he's being going to be deceitful. But look what Moses does. He goes out from Pharaoh and entreated and, and, and the, the Lord. He interceded for him, right? And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. Notice that. Not one fly remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. Clearly, he's trying to compromise. Clearly, he's trying to not lose anything. He wants to stay in control. God is in complete control. He is greater than any of his gods. He's wiping out each of their gods each time he brings a plague. And he's sitting there and he's doing this. But God, the Pharaoh is just not changing. Now, again, this hardness of heart is what we're talking about today. He is a typical human being, isn't he? We see this is just a perfect example of humanity. It didn't matter if it's ancient or modern man today. When you want to be in control, you will compromise in doing what God's word says. And it brings about a hardness of heart. And when the heart starts hardening, it gets more and more difficult to actually be obedient 
to the word of God. And you'll rationalize it. Pharaoh rationalized all of this. He thought he was in the right. He thought he was all in control and he was doing exactly the good thing. In his own mind, he thought he was, he was going to be just fine. Even though everything around him was, is coming, uh, you know, pain and suffering upon him and his, and, his, and his people. But he just wanted this to stop. And so Moses followed through and God followed through and showed mercy and removed the flies. And as soon as they removed the flies, removed the pressure, removed the pain... His heart became hardened because he did not want them to let him go. He said, okay, I'll get him controlled again. It's a common scene. A woman does not become an alcoholic and have an abuse with alcohol just like that. It starts with this social drinking in her heart and says, I'm just socially drinking. And that social drinking can cause a problem in someone's heart to become harder. And that hardness of heart becomes, takes it from a social drinking into actual drunkenness. A man doesn't sit there and say, go hardcore gambling and lose his money. It starts with just this, oh, the simple little friendly betting here and friendly betting there. And, oh, I just want to pull the lever once. And it sounds like fun going to Las Vegas only once. I just want to experience it. And get to a point where all of a sudden it hooks him. And now he becomes a gambler and he loses everything. A man doesn't just become completely perverted. He starts with a few picks, a few videos, a few ponders, and a few letting the mind go. And what happens is then all of a sudden the heart grows harder and he becomes a perverted man. The hardness of heart. It starts so simple. Compromising when God is telling you, don't do it, don't do it. And he's telling you in the quietness of your heart, in your mind, and you continue to do it. And you're not wanting to, to even struggle against it. Maybe in the beginning you struggled against it. You fought it and fought it and fought it. But if you allow the heart to continue to harden, you'll lose the fight. So many times Christians look for the experiences of Christianity. They'll go from church to church looking for an experience through the music, through the atmosphere. Through the people, oh, there weren't, there's no experiences. I didn't see anyone do these, these, these signs and wonders. And what happens is you have to remember that great experiences, people have no guarantee that they will actually grow spiritually in their relationship with God. Spiritual experiences doesn't help you grow spiritually. It's the change of heart that helps you grow spiritually. The softening of the heart, not the hardening of the heart. It's the change of mind and the change of heart, not the experiences that you're going to find spiritual growth in your life. Now we see we're on to the fifth plague. Another warning will come to Pharaoh through Moses, but let's see how he responds. Chapter 9, verse 1 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go in to Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of, of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold the hand, oh, here it comes, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field and on the horses and on the donkeys and on the camels and on the oxen and on the sheep and a very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference, key word right here in verse 4, make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. And so nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. It gets even more clear of the distinction between God's people and not his people. And we see here, again, Moses coming in and made it very clear to him. The Lord God of the Hebrews, not the Lord God of the Egyptian Hebrews. The Hebrews. They're separate and distinct. And if you refuse them, if you refuse to let them go and serve their God into the, into the wilderness there, into the desert, then the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle, your livelihood, on your job, 
on your livelihood. It's, not, it, it's going to be affected because you will not be obedient and follow what God says. And we see what happens here. That there's going to be a severe pestilence that will happen to your livestock and not one animal, not one livestock of the Israels will die. Not one. That is amazing. God sustains the life of every single one of those Israelis, the, the, the Hebrew uh, Israel's uh, livestock, keeps them alive through all of this. Then what happens, verse 5, then the Lord appointed a set time. There's a time, some people, oh, I, you know, if I just can keep doing this thing, I know God's telling me to let go of it, but if I just continue, maybe I'll be, be, I could just go a little bit further before I, I let go of it. There's a set time. <laughs> just so you know, God has a time where he's going to come. If, he, if you're better off to, to repent and change now before consequences come. But there was a point in set time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing then on the next day and all the livestock of Egypt died. But the livestock of the children of Israel did not one died. Can you imagine your entire livestock wiped out immediately? Gone. And you had a warning. Pharaoh had a warning that this was going to happen. But that didn't change his heart, heart of heart, did it? Lost his whole livelihood. But for the Israels, they didn't lose one. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed, not, not, every, not even one of the livestock of the Israel, Israel, Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. Can you picture this? The next day, he's thinking, there's no way this is going to happen. He had to be thinking this way. To a point where he sends someone there, in verse 7, to go look to see if any animals died of the Israelis. The Israelites. Go check. Go check. Did their animals die too? It didn't matter. He just lost an entire livelihood for him and his people. He just wanted to know if they were affected. And sure enough, God, it did exactly what God... You would think after a few plagues, or one plague, you would understand that God's in control and he's going to do what he says he's going to do. If God says and gives you a promise, it's going to happen. It's not a question of if, it's only when. It's a set time. There's a set time it's going to happen. Amazing power of God. But this man, it says here, the heart of Pharaoh became hard. It's becoming harder and harder and harder. Even though God right there just completely wiped out the Egyptian god of uh, Hathor. The mother goddess of the, uh, uh, in the form of a cow that they worship was just wiped out. He just took out all the animals. And took out their, 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 their false goddess that, that worshipped fertility. Took it right out. So what happens next? Verse 8, we see the sixth plague. Now remember, the third of the set of plagues, there is no warning. There is no warning here with the boils. Notice here in verse 8. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh, and it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils that break out in the sores on men and beasts throughout all the land of Egypt. Then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them toward heaven, and they caused boils that broke that break out in sores on man and beast. <laughs> Can you picture it now, right? They're in destruction. There's all kinds of problems here. The livestock has been wiped out. And here comes Moses Aaron. It wasn't asked to come. They didn't go send for him. They just show up. They reach in and pull out the ashes from the furnace and throws it up in front of Pharaoh. It says nothing. Now, why is that significant? Remember, Egyptians worshipped the priests, that's how they blessed the people in Egypt. They took the furnace uh, ashes and the uh, Egyptian priests would throw it up and it would show a blessing upon the people. So Pharaoh's thinking, why are they grabbing the, the furnace ashes and ready to throw up? Are we going to get blessed finally? No, that wasn't it. 
boils immediately happen upon the people and the livestock. Sores, nasty, weeping sores. Painful sores. And it came without warning. You think that would change the man? You would think, because sometimes when consequences come, and sometimes you get warnings and sometimes you don't get a warning. Sometimes if it just affects someone else, you don't worry too much because it didn't affect your life. You're like, oh, that's sad. I wonder what they did. What happened? Sometimes it gets a little closer and it starts affecting your job or their livelihood. It got a little closer. The animals got wiped out. And you're like, ooh, it's getting a little closer. This is not good. Because you're feeling, you're feeling the pressure now. You're feeling the effects, don't you? But notice this plague is the first time it actually affects the human being. So here's the very first time that lives of humans are attacked and endangered, and it's now attacking him personally and physically. Now watch how he responds. Now, in verse 11, the magicians, oh, the little magicians are showing up finally. Where have they been over the last couple of plagues? But notice the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and all of the Egyptians. Now, we certainly, I'm sure Pharaoh didn't want the magicians to come in and do the enchantments and all kinds of stuff to bring more boils on themselves like the first three plagues, do they? No. They couldn't do anything. They were in such pain and suffering. They couldn't do their little rituals and then call upon the demons uh, to give them the, the, these, 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 these moments of, of uh, miracles in front of them. But verse 12, But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So they, he comes and he attacks another one of the gods, the god of medicine, comes right in here and he says, who here, even your magician, can't even come and help you physically. And you're going to hurt physically. And it comes upon your life. And God announced, if you remember, he would harden Pharaoh's heart back in Exodus chapter 4 and in verse, uh, chapter 7, if you remember. But notice that Pharaoh would harden his heart, harden his heart, harden his heart. Now we see God hardens a heart. It doesn't in confliction. It is God is allowing and helping support you in your desires of already hardening your heart. He gives you over completely to your heart of hardness. To me, it's, that is a dangerous and big warning for anyone who continues to harden the heart against things of God. Because it comes to a point where your heart gets so hardened, God turns you over to your debased mind, the scripture says. He'll turn you over to completeness of your hardness of heart. But God doesn't want that. He's showing even Pharaoh mercy upon mercy through each of these plagues, giving him an opportunity to repent, a genuine repentance, change of mind, change of heart. But he wouldn't do it. What happens now? Another plague. Seventh plague. The, now we begin the third set of the third plagues. So we get a warning again from God through Moses. So the Lord, then the Lord said to Moses, Arise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, This says the Lord God of the Hebrews. Same message. He hasn't changed the message. You think you'd get the message after him telling you a few times. It happens, you know, it happens today. You'll sit there and God, you'll read the word of God and God will say to you, uh, you need to change. I, I'm talking to you. This is God speaking to you. And it's like, I know. Let me put the Bible away. I don't want to hear it. Then you turn on the, the Way Radio, 96.9 FM, the Way, the Way to the Word and Worship, and all of a sudden you're listening to a teacher and out of the blue, the same message is sent to you from someone at the other side of the country that was recorded probably two years prior or three years or ten years prior, and it's the same message to you. It's just a coincidence. You turned on the radio and you just happened to be listening at that time. So you turn the radio off because you don't want to hear it. I don't recommend that. 
And then all of a sudden, you go to work. And your most heathen, anti-God worker walks in and says something to you. And says exactly what God has been trying to tell you. And then you're cut to the core by a non-believer that God used as a donkey to speak to your hard heart. See, God has the same way that, of bringing to light for us what he's trying to get you to, by, through his mercy and his grace, for you to just voluntarily surrender completely. It's amazing. So what happens? Let my people go that they may serve me. Verse 14, And at, for at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart. I'm going to remind you of everything I've done to, here through these plagues into your heart. It's going to be heavy, man. You're going to be reminded of everything. And on your servants and on your people that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. I am the, the supreme and only God. The God of the heavens and the earth here. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. If I took my hand and literally struck you, you would be dead now. Just like your livestock, completely wiped out. But I didn't do that. Why? Because verse 16, but indeed for this purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. You're going to be my flashing neon billboard the rest of your, throughout this nation and the world to come of my power and my strength and my abilities. And verse 17, and as yet you exalt yourself against my people in, and that you will not let them go. And even with all of this, you still won't let my people go. Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause very heavy hail to rain down such as, as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field, for the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is, and is, not, brought in, brought, is not brought home, and they shall die. I'm telling you, this is a merciful God. He made it as clear as can be to Pharaoh and the people. I'm sending hail. Go now and get your people and your livestock and get them inside. Because tomorrow, I'm going to bring the hail. He warns them. He makes it clear what to do. All you have to do is obey and do it. What happens? Verse 20. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. See, people are starting to watch what's going on and they go, what is going on here? Our leader is a, is a wicked leader. He's not doing things for God. He's going against God. And the people are starting to listen and notice and goes, okay, we're Egyptians. We get it now after five, now six, seventh plague. We better go get our livestock and get my family and we're going inside. Why? Because he who feared the word of the Lord. That's why we want you to study the word of God. Because when you have a healthy reverence of God, a fear of the Lord, and you read the word of God and he speaks to you about doing something, be obedient because he's warning you and by his mercies he's showing you what is about to take place. But you have a choice. And look what happens in verse 21. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. There was no change. No change, of, no change of mind, did not believe it, and did not have a change of heart, which means they did not change their actions. Someone who believes the word of God and his actions and her actions in line up with that word of God, you know you have a change of heart. But you say one thing, but you do something different, no change of heart. Pretty simple, it's not complex. 
So what happens here, they heard the same message. They were going to have an opportunity. God, by his mercy, did not have to do it. And some did, chose to, to believe, and some chose not to believe. And those who did not believe, what happened? We will see here in verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, and that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and on beast and on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire darted to the ground. Oh, that was a firework moment. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt, so there was there was. Hail and fire mingled with the hail, so, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt and all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field only, verse 26, in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. <laughs> you know, it's absolutely amazing to me. It uses, you, you want an experience, just sit there and watch your entire land being hailed and fire coming down upon you. And right there in the land of Goshen, right there in the middle of the place of uh, north of, uh, of Egypt there, of, uh, of the capital, there they are and nothing is happening to them. It's going all around them. And they're not being touched. How could you not know that this is the hand of God protecting them? It is amazing. So the, their, their Egyptian god called Nut, <laughs> the Egyptian sky goddess, was just taken over by God. <laughs> their sky goddess has no power over me. I'm going to bring this out of the sky down upon them in judgment. And just completely obliterated the people, the livestock, and the, and the crops. Just obliterated. Wiped them out. You'd think you'd have a change of heart then, wouldn't you, if you lost everything. But what happens? Verse 27, Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. This time? Just this time. Maybe, okay. Maybe, maybe a change of heart. Maybe. Well, let's see what happens. The Lord is righteous. Oh, that's speaking truth. That's okay. You're right. He's righteous. And my people and I are wicked. You've got that right. I mean, this is, you're sounding like you're moving in the direction of repentance and, and a born-again experience. This, is gonna, this sounds like a good thing here. Take note. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is, it is enough. Oh, he's had enough. Have you, really? Is it enough? Let's see what happens. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Boy, this is sounding good. So Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. He's in complete control. You're going to know this. Verse 30, But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Ah, Moses knows. Why does he know? That he's not going to fear God yet? Because he knew what God's word told him earlier on back in chapter 4. This said that his first, there was, the firstborn was going to die, remember? He told him what the end game was going to look like at the end of the plagues. Plague number 10. So he knew this was coming up. Verse 31, And now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head and the flax was in bud, but the wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they are late crops. So that means you can see time has passed. We're in a new season. There's a, this, is har this is growth and harvest type season here for the farmers there. So you can kind of see time has passed. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and the hail ceased and the rain was now poured on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more. What, 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 what? He should have said, he sinned no more. But the word didn't say no more, it says yet more. That means he continued to sin. He hardened his heart. He continued to be disobedient to what God was saying. And he hardened his heart. 
he and his servants. And so the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So these sound like perfect words. I have sinned. I'm a wicked man. God is righteous. These are great sounding words in the eyes of, or the ears of someone who desires for that family member to be saved. Or your best friend you've been praying for to be saved. Or your spouse who's been pretending and you know for a fact that you should know because no one else knows, but you know he or she's not saved. Because you live with them, you know. What they say behind the scenes. But notice this. That true repentance had not worked its way down into Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh only said these because he was grieved by the consequences of his sin. Not of the sin itself. That's the difference, my brothers and sisters, as someone who's truly repentant and truly have been born again experience, is that they are grieved to the core because they know they're a sinner, they're wicked, and the sin that they commit is against God. They don't want fire insurance so that they can go to heaven so they don't have to face the consequences of their sin. That's not true repentance. True repentance involves a change of mind that leads to a changed life. You just don't give your say, I'm giving my life to Christ or I'm a Christian, but you never have a desire in your mind or your heart to change your life and walk away from the sinful life you live. It's grieving to watch Christianity today, to sit there and say, I am saved, but then turn around and you can feel like you can live your life like you, however you want to live. I can go be drunk. God forgave me. I can go live with someone and not be married. God forgives me. He knows that we're spiritually one. It goes on and on today, my brothers and sisters. That should not happen. If it goes against the word of God, you cannot be disobedient and not think there's going to be consequences. It's got to be a change of mind. You need to see it as sin and hate it, that sin just like God hates that sin. And have a change of life. You must repent. It means go 180 degree opposite of what you've been doing. Remember Balaam? Remember Balaam playing that card in Numbers chapter 4? How about Saul? Playing that, uh, that, 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 that fake kind of repentance in 1 Samuel chapter 15. How about Judas? Matthew 27. Oh, have that money back. You know. All that was was an example of a guilt that was in their lives. And they showed insincere confession of sin. Oh, they had confession of sin. I'm wicked. God's righteous. I know I need to change. But it was insincere confession because all they wanted is to be relieved from the pain or relieved or get back what they lost because of their sin. We don't want insincere confessions of sin. We want genuine repentance, change of mind and heart walking away from that sin. No longer ever desiring Fighting that desire. Then what happens? You'd think everything would be better, wouldn't you think? God showed mercy. He gave him an opportunity to, to get free and to be protected and to repent. And he, he answered their pleas. And, he, and they even ignored God, even through his rich mercy. And just by ignoring and going back against God's mercy upon your life through this situation... By ignoring it and going against it, you've actually sinned even more. Then what happens? Now the eighth plague. Locusts. Again, a warning will come. 
It says, Now the Lord said to Moses, Go, to, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt. Oh, he's saying, Let Pharaoh know. Not only will you know, but your sons and your sons' sons, generation upon generation, is going to remember what I am about to do, have done, and will continue to do. He says, I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Verse 3, so Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Isn't that, isn't that all God wants for us? It's for us to humble ourselves. Not let the pride continue to be a wall there and just humble ourselves and come before him and just worship him as Lord, as master. Let my people go that they may serve me or else. Ooh, strong words, or else. If you refuse to let my people go, behold, Tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory and they shall cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the earth and they shall eat the residue of what is left which remains, remi remains, to, you from the, which remains to you from the hail and they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your father's fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and he went out from Pharaoh. Walked out. But notice here in the very beginning, God said, I have hardened Pharaoh's heart. But remember, in chapter 9, we saw that Pharaoh hardened his heart. But remember, once you start hardening your heart, eventually, we talked about, God comes right in and reinforces your desires of what you want, and he lets you have it, and you complete it. Why? Because he's going to bring to light, truly, there's no excuse. You can't blame anybody else anymore. Adam figured that out really quick. Can't blame his wife, Eve. Many people will shift their, their blame. But Pharaoh was not going to be able to shift his blame any longer. He's going to have to own it completely because it's his heart that God's dealing with here. And so we find here that the pride was at the heart of Pharaoh's problem. And he would not humble himself. And it was bringing not only him down and his entire nation down. Right in front of him because he wouldn't humble himself. Verse 7, then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord uh, their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? Even now, Pharaoh's people, his servants, are turning on him. Moses and Aaron and the, and the Israelites... They've got to go. Do you not see they're a snare? They're, we're caught in this and we're bringing us down. We're in a trap. We're all going to die. Don't you, can't you see, Pharaoh, in front of your own eyes that the entire nation is destroyed because of your hard-heartedness? Now, I will slip this in right now because the Lord is bringing it back to mind, but I, if it's not a nation, it can be a state. A leader of a state and the decisions that this man is making is going to bring destruction because the decisions that are made go completely against the word of God. And it is grieving to watch, and I trust my God is going to protect us as children of God through all of these decisions that leaders are making for this state. God forbid, you know, there's... God is in control and he appoints leaders for to bring about his will and purpose. So I'm not naive about that as well. But I trust God that he's in control and he's bringing about these things, regardless of how I feel <laughs> about our leaders. We have to trust God that he's in control and will take care of this for us. Back to the scripture. That was a segment. 
So he says, their, their servants say, how long are they going to do? They're a snare. They've got to go. They're we're destroyed. Verse 8, so Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, go serve the Lord our God. Who are the ones that are going? He's asking, who are the ones that are going? And Moses said, we will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds, we will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Verse 10, then he said, Pharaoh said to them, the Lord had better be with you when I let you, let you and your little ones of go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. Not so. Go now, you, you who are men, and serve the Lord. For that is what you desire. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Compromise number three. Pharaoh's realizing he's losing God after God after God. He's not able to do anything. He's, everything he's tried has gone and gotten worse. And now he's got his servants turning on him. And he's like, okay, what do I do here? Okay, you can go. Who's going to go with you? We're taking everybody. We're taking everything we have. It's the entire tribe, including our livelihood. It's all going to go out and serve God. Everything. There's no compromise. Not just certain people in the only my only the men worship God in our family. No, men, women, and children in this family are worshiping God. There's no compromise there. It's not okay just the wife to be this to, to, to worship God in a family. It's not just the, the husband to be worshiping in the family. It's okay if the parents are. The kids will make their own decision when they grow up if they're going to be worshiping God or not. Oh, please don't say that. That should never come out of the mouths of people who've been sitting here and understand the word of God. You would never say that. The children will make their own decision who they follow and worship. That's, that's demonic. I can't make it any clearer to you. That's demonic. That is not godly talking. But that's what he's saying. Yo, man, you can go out there and worship, but the kids all stay right here. We're, we're, you, know, you don't need to take them. We're going to keep your women and children and your, and your animals here. Why? Because I, knew, I know you men will come back for them. <laughs> I know you're not going to leave your kids and your wife behind and your kids. You'll come back. Again, a compromise to see if Moses will give in. Why? Because... Well, at least we can go out. Maybe that will, God will be happy enough through all this. We'll just go out there. Maybe God will be happy with that, and we'll leave the kids there. And you're right. It's kind of not safe because Pharaoh said it was going to be safe, and we have to beware. And no, there's no compromise, my brothers. For me and my house, we will what? Serve the Lord. You men do not compromise in your house. You your wife and your children, you come together, you worship together, you serve together. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Period. That's not negotiable, my brothers. It should not be. And so what happens? Then, verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt and every herb of the land, all the hail had left, has left. If there was anything green, it's about to go. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt, and then the Lord brought an east wind in, on the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. Now, you saw the news recently, haven't you? Did you hear about a country that's dealing with locusts in Africa? I think it's Africa. Just absolutely, they have the army out trying to take out the locusts. It's so bad. It's destroying everything over in that area. Look it up. It's, it's, it's incredible. And then the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested in all the territory of Egypt. They were, very, they were very severe. Previously there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be such after them. For they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened, and they ate every herb of the land and all the fruits of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. Amazing, amazing barrenness happened across the land. 
But that's what happens with a hardened of heart. It brings back a, a, a barrenness, a dryness, complete destruction in the heart of a man. In this case, a heart of a nation. When a nation turns against God. Not one thing living in this nation. And guess what happens? God took out the Egyptian God Set, the protector of the crops, the God of the crops. They worship Set, saying, you're going to bring the harvest and have great growth and this is going to be plentiful. And God said, watch me take that right out. I'll take that right out of your life. You'll know I'm the only God. I'm the only God you should serve. I'm the only God you should follow. You're the only God that you should listen to. And then Pharaoh, verse 16, called Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once. Only this once? And entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. Again, he's got death on his, he can see it, he can smell it, that something is not good. So he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. So Moses actually went out and is going to intercede for the Lord, for the people there. And verse 19, And the Lord turned a very strong west wind, which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all of the territory of Egypt. Not one. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. He said the words of repentance, he said here, I've sinned against the Lord. Yes, I know I've even sinned against you. But his actions continued to go down the road that he continued in heart, so hardened that he would not let the people go. He would not change. You know, it's so easy to confess the sin. The shallow repentance that can spring up so quickly out of when you're in pain and suffering and, and sense of loss. Just out of the desire to stop the consequences that you're having to face. But my brothers and sisters, pray for people to go beyond the insincere or the shallowness of their confession and pray for true repentance, true regeneration to take place in the hearts of the people. Complete surrender. And what happens? Now we have seen the two warnings of the third set. Now we see the no warning of this third set. And that will be darkness. Because that's exactly what happens as you go and you see death in front of you. There's darkness that will lead into death. And this, watch this happens. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. Three days of darkness. Doesn't that ring a bell for you? Remember Jonah in the belly of the, the great fish? Three days of darkness in that belly. Remember? Three days of it's so such heavy of darkness you could feel the darkness on you. Verse twenty three, they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. They were secluded, they were they were they were locked in. They could not move because the darkness was so dark. There was no light. That tells you that God didn't even allow them to be able to light candles or start a fire. That's how heavy the darkness started coming upon their life. That tells you how hard their heart is. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Again, this is absolutely amazing that God's power brought darkness, so much darkness, that even the land that the Israelites dwelt in had light. Light amongst the darkness of that land. But in our lives, 
someone's heart who's been hardening and not willing to completely surrender their life to, sincerely to God, they get, it gets harder and harder and harder. And with a hardened heart, darkness starts showing up into their lives. All shapes and sizes. Darkness in their mind. They start thinking dark things. They want to watch and be entertained by dark things. God said to stay away from all forms of evil. A hardened heart loves to watch the things of evil. Those are signs that are not good for a person's heart. If you're a Christian, a born-again believer, and you're starting to be entertained by things of evilness and darkness, watch out, my brothers and sisters. That is not a good sign. That's not just watching a movie for, to pass some time on. That is a sign of a heart issue. I really do believe that. Why? Because the scripture says in 1 Thessalonians, stay away from all forms of evil. Why would you be entertaining and going against the word of God? But you see the darkness coming to a point where a person's life can actually feel the darkness on their lives? And you cannot see light? Do you know what that means? They're at the point of willing to commit suicide because they have nothing, no hope at all in their lives. For the longest time, people say, oh, there's such a suicide problem in the military. Oh, there's a problem. It's because of war. Do you know that's not true? I see the statistics. I know the case after case. I read the cases in my line of business. I know. Not because of war. Not all. But if you notice, you start popping up these little news feeds. Dentists, highest suicide rates. Nurses, highest suicide rates. Ballerinas, highest suicide rates. Yoga instructors, highest suicide rates. I mean, I'm just making that up a little bit, but you're amazing how many, it doesn't matter where you look and what profession, it seems like they have, they're having the highest suicide rates they've ever had before. Why is that? Because there's a darkness that's coming across the world that we've never seen before because it's soon and very soon our Lord's coming back for us. That should help us to be rejoiceful because soon we're going to get raptured out of here. Soon we're going to go home and be with him for eternity. Soon we'll be out of this darkness. But don't be naive of what you, when you're watching the things that are going on and the teen suicides are skyrocketing and everybody's turning around they're saying there's no hope and blah, 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 blah. We've got to understand this darkness is coming. And we see it happening in the nation of, of the Egyptian nation here because of the leader and because of the people. They have chosen to not follow God. And when you take and you take God out, remember, light is not only is not only a physical property, but it's also God's character. When you take God out, then you're taking light out. When at the end time, when the demons and, and Satan and those who non-believers are thrown into the lake of fire, there's complete darkness. That means there's complete absence of God. And that's what they were feeling. They were getting this, this the fact that they wanted nothing to God and God was letting them have their way and hardening their hearts. And there was, and there was this, 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 this no him, there was all this darkness and it's coming more and more upon them. And God wiped out their Egyptian God that they worshipped, Ra, which was the sun God. He just took out that sun, that God that they worshipped and said, no, there'll be complete darkness. And then finally, as we come here at the end here, then, verse 24, then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God, and even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But, verse 27, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself, and see my face no more. For in the day that... For in the day you see my face, you shall 
die. And Moses responds, verse 29, you have spoken well. <laughs> I will never see your face again. And he didn't. We see here Pharaoh coming to the very end of himself. We see the fact that he tried, again, compromising the fact that, okay, you can go, you and your, your wife and, and your children, you can all go, but your lively stock, that the only ones that are alive in all of land, because all of theirs got wiped out, yours has to stay. Your livelihood has to stay here. And Moses said, absolutely not. And when that happened, it just hardened his heart to the point where God said Pharaoh would be brought to a point where he would drive the people out. And that's exactly what took place. That last compromise did not work. The last try to keep something in control. And when he didn't have that, he said, get out. Because if not, I'm going to kill you if I see your face. Moses was happy to leave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking me and my barbecue and my family and my livestock and I'm out of here. I'm heading to the... You don't have to tell me second time, man. I'm out of here. And they, were, and they were gone. We'll continue in our story, verse 10, because we're going to see again, Pharaoh is going to respond to this. Even though he says, get out of here, we're going to see him again. One last sketch. And what brings after darkness brings death. And we will see that in plague number 10. But let me give you just something at the very end here. This ends the account of nine plagues. And there's one yet to come. Death of the firstborn. The Bible tells us there are several reasons why God sent these plagues upon Pharaoh in Egypt. One... He answered clearly without a question, Pharaoh's question in the very beginning. Who is the Lord? And God said through these plagues, I'm going to answer that question of who is God Almighty? Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord in control? And he did that through these plagues. Second, to show the power of God through Moses. He is showing, I can work through a man who is willing, a willing vessel to do what I'm asking him to do, and you will see power through that man. And God will show power through a man and a woman today who is willing to allow God, and they're obedient to God's direction through their lives. You will see a power beyond your own under, and everyone will watch and go, that is amazing what you're able to do. That's incredible to me. How has that happened in your life? Because God is working through an obedient servant. He's going to bring, I saw in chapter 10, verse 2, he is bringing about a testimony for not only for the people then, for but generation upon generation. We are reading it today and being a witness to us today, the power and um, the mighty hand of God. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. And he also will use this, we see it in 1 Samuel 4, 8, the Philistines will remember what the Lord God of Israel did to the, through the plagues of the Egyptians in warning the nations more 400, 400 years after the event. And I don't know about you, what a testimony of how great our God is. Amen?